0: might give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. I was watching that sermon bumper, and uh, you probably don't realize it, but those things that are uh, being said up there are the points that our study is going to take us through, many of which I've referenced already, but uh, we are on week three of our preaching through the book of James and James talks about all of those things that are up here on the screen and one of them that I saw this morning is what we're going to talk about specifically this morning. Now my message title is the gift between the hurt and the harm. I say that slowly so that you can resonate with it. The gift Between the hurt and the harm Now we are on week 3 of James And so far we have made it almost all the way to verse 5 But we're going to pick up the pace a little bit uh, this week We're not going to spend 4 years in these 5 chapters I promise you we are going to pick up the pace The reason that I have called and titled this message series Unsafe Places is because James makes us deal with some things that we would rather not talk about in church. He makes us confront some things that would otherwise go unconfronted because they're uncomfortable. Because he talks about relationships between one another, but he spends a lot of time talking about our relationship with God. And because James is the kind of sarcastic, blunt Cut to the chase, kind of workmanlike uh, mentality and personality. He just gets right to the basis of things. He doesn't have a lot of theology. He doesn't. He doesn't have a lot of doctrine. When I uh, was was in Bible college and learning how to break down Scripture, James breaks most of the rules. He doesn't use a lot of poetic things. He doesn't use a lot of foreshadowing or any of that. He, he cuts right to the chase. He gives it to you straight, and he's pretty blunt with his announcement of who Jesus is. He's kind of like if you have two parents that uh, are dyna- uh, diametrically opposed to one another. You've got the sweet, uh, soothing mother who's always uh, licking her palm and cut putting down your hair and... Telling you, now baby, it's going to be okay. And, 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 and just kind of loving on you and putting an arm around you and comforting you. And then you've got dad that's like, cut it out. I told you once. I've told you a thousand times. If I have to tell you again, you know the dad that comes along just kind of squeezes that collarbone for you. He don't have to say nothing. He just kind of squeezes that collarbone and you know it's about to go down. That's James. James is the pastor uh, of the church that just gives it to you. He don't have he don't have an eloquent way of speaking. He's not he's not Paul. He didn't study under Gamaliel. He's not he's not well versed in the Hebrew structure of things. He met Jesus uh, at birth. He was Jesus' little brother. He grew up with Jesus, but he didn't believe in Jesus. But when Jesus finally showed himself to James and James become converted, it was a radical conversion, and it changed everything. And because he became so radically changed, he's really in your face. And we're going to get in your face a little bit this morning. Is that all right? I'm, I'm going to deal with, I'm, going to, I'm calling it a gift because I'm trying to knock off some of these rough edges. Uh, As a matter of fact, in a few weeks we're going to deal with the subject that James is going to take us through. And and I am so nervous about that sermon, I've already wrote the sermon, that I've got a couple of people that are going to be making a skit for me and we're going to record it and put it on because I'm trying to bring some laughter uh, to these messages because James is so straightforward that sometimes he's like a bulldozer and and we have to bring some some brevity to it. So this morning's message we're going to be dealing in James chapter 1. And we're going to eventually get to James chapter 1, verse 5, but I'm going to kind of go backwards this morning, if that's okay, because my sermon is the gift between the hurt and the harm. So I need, to, I need to deal with the hurt and harm first so I can come back and catch the gift. Are you with me? Let's talk about the difference between harm and hurt because they sound a lot alike, don't they? If I told you that I was going to hurt you, you would say, don't harm me, and you would think that we're talking about the same thing. So let's talk about the difference between the harm and the hurt. A hurt is an emotional, physical, or psychological pain. Uh-huh. A pain. Don't look at your neighbor. Look ahead. A pain. Your neighbor's not the pain. It's an emotional, physical, or psychological pain. While harm is an injury, damage, or a detriment. In other words, hurt relates to pain that you feel. Harm relates to damage. Hurt is when something feels broken, harm is when it is broken. Are you with me? So, the last two weeks, we have been dealing with hurts. We have been dealing with the hurt of trials. Hurt is painful. Let's get that up front hurt is something that you feel your trials are painful please stop being so super spiritual that you can't admit when life kicks you around a little bit we we have gotten this mindset that once we get saved we can't admit that anything is wrong anymore or we make Jesus look bad but hurt is painful your trials are painful. When you get hurt, you have a tendency to wince, do you not? But how many of you know that pain, thank God, eventually goes away? Okay, pain goes away. But now we're being introduced to something worse than the hurt. Something that leads to a more permanent problem. This morning we're going to deal with something that is beyond pain because it causes Damage. It causes you injury. It is harmful. And the word that we're going to talk about this morning that causes you harm is temptation. Let's look at James chapter 1 beginning with verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Do you notice how James puts those two things together? We have already dealt with testing. We've been talking about trials, how they cause you pain, right? But now we're going to talk about something beyond testing. He says testing and temptation. The hurt and the harm. See, testing is hurtful. It causes you pain. But pain subsides. Put some ice on it. It'll get better in time. But harm is injury prone. It causes you long lasting injury. That's what temptation does to the soul. Afterward, James says, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Do you hear those action verbs? That's why I'm calling this the harm, because it entices you, it entraps you, and drags you away. These desires, look at verse 15 with me, give birth to sinful actions. And when sin, which is the baby that was birthed out of desire, when sin is allowed to grow, it has a baby called death. So the trials of life, which we write songs about, are painful. But temptation takes your pain to a whole other level. Because temptation is pregnant. And it is pregnant, listen to what it says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. Temptation is pregnant with a worse version of you a sinful version of you a version of you that looks at God and says i know what you want me to do but this is what i'm going to do so so when the reason this is the gift between the hurt and the harm is because trials hurt you but the danger is when you allow that hurt to set into your spirit and it becomes temptation that gets pregnant with sin and sin gets pregnant with something called death so you need to understand the difference between the hurt and the harm because you can hurt for a long time and heal but harm causes injury that can last for eternity now the trials of life are painful but we're going to go from hurt to harm if we don't find the gift that lives between them. And maybe James understands temptation because he heard his older brother talk about temptation. Do you remember Jesus being in the wilderness? Do you you remember Jesus being in the wilderness being tempted by Satan? And if he would have heard Jesus preach about temptation, he knows that temptation comes in three places. When you're tired, when you're hungry, and when you're weak. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he had fasted for 40 days. He had not had any food. He had not had any water. He was hungry. He was tired. And he was weak. And that's when the devil showed up. Can I tell you that the devil hasn't changed his methods any? That when he comes looking for a place to tempt you, that's the same place he looks. He looks when you're tired. Tired like Eve was. Pastor, I'm tired all the time. I'm not talking about just being physically tired. See, some of you are tired like Eve. Eve got tired of following orders. Oh, are y'all, y'all, y'all just going to look at me in that tone of voice? Eve got tired of following orders that didn't make sense to her. Oh, you don't do that. Listen, I'm tired of eating dinner alone. I don't see why i got to wait for somebody to come along that loves Jesus. So I'm just going to go out on a date because I'm tired of eating dinner alone. God hasn't brought me my man yet. God hasn't brought me my woman yet. And I'm tired of not being appreciated. So I'm going to do this because God hasn't done. I'm tired of them not showing me any respect at the house. So I'm going to go find me a relationship where I get some affirmation. I'm I'm tired of all them people at that church looking at me the way they look at me. So I'm just going to go out to the bar because the people at the bar love me and appreciate me for who I am. See, when you get tired of following rules from heaven that don't make sense to you, temptation is there. How how about when you're hungry? Oh, I'm not talking about you want a quarter pounder. Because Jesus tells us on the, in, the, in the, uh, Matthew chapter 7 on the, uh, what we call the, the Beatitudes, He says if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Can I tell somebody this morning, you hungry for something. And if you're not hungry for righteousness, you're going to get filled up on something. And the world is full of stuff to feed you. So if you're not hungering after righteousness, be careful. Temptation's there. Or how about when you're weak? Do you ever wonder why it is so hard, so hard to get all them kids dressed on Sunday? Have you ever wondered why it is so hard to get out of bed on Sunday? The rest of the week, you're up, reporting for duty. And Sundays, everybody's dragging. What is taking her so long in that bathroom? The car don't want to start. The 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 the, the driveway needs. I just I shoveled snow four times yesterday off the same sidewalk. And on Sundays the snow is always deeper and it's always colder, and people are always lazier and it's always harder to get them together. Why do you think it is on Sunday? Because there's something that's working against you. It's, it's causing you to get weak. And you don't notice weakness except when you're weak. Let me explain something to you. Have you ever noticed how you can binge watch nine hours of Netflix, but you can't spend nine minutes praying? Like, like you have, you've done ate the whole box of Twinkies. You, you, you have watched the whole season of whatever show it is. And, and got crumbs all over your shirt. There's an oil stain. You're not sure where the oil came from. I mean, you are in, you are in uh, yesterday's clothes. You, you, you smell like a rotten tomato. You, 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 you have sat there and you have binge watched the whole thing. Never got tired. Never got upset. Never, got, never had a, a notion to do anything else. But when you're praying, my knees hurt. My back hurts. I wonder who's that on the phone. I wonder what the dog is barking at. What is that noise coming from the other room? You're constantly struggling. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This past couple of years has done a number on people, especially God's people. So we still got a lot of complex things that are happening, and people are processing both in the present and in the future. You've got anxiety about decisions that you are trying to make right now, But you're also trying to prepare for what's going to happen tomorrow. But you have learned over the past couple of years you can't prepare too far ahead because things change pretty quickly in the world we live in. Now the counselors tell us that there are four categories that cause anxiety. Are you ready? These are the trials that causes the greatest anxiety in the brain. They are health, safety, politics, and relationships. Relationships. Has anybody noticed like I noticed that we've had some health and safety issues recently on planet earth that caused some political conflict and caused some trouble in our relationships? Look at what verse 15 says in James chapter 1. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So what he's saying is this. When you're under pressure, When you're in a trial and your brain has a lot of anxiety, it is trying to process information and make decisions to keep you safe and trying to control the future and protect everybody that you love and care about. But there is something in you that is now more vulnerable to temptation because the hurt causes you so much pain that it makes you vulnerable to the harm. The enemy couldn't get you if he didn't first get you in a weak position. You have to first be hungry, or you have to be weak, or you have to be living in rebellion. And the devil sees his opportunity, and he brings temptation. Are you still with me? So, so we're seeing it in the world today. Ever since COVID made the world shut down, people are under pressure. And do you know what they're telling us? Because everybody is living under pressure, they are drinking more alcohol. They are popping more medication. People are eating more and gaining more weight. They are spending more money than they used to spend. They're shopping more online. People are more angry. They're having more mental health problems. They are making more short-sighted decisions. And more people are suicidal today than there was three years ago. Why? Because there is a vice of temptation that is squeezing on people because the enemy knows that you are vulnerable now when you wasn't before. And as a result, instead of responding with the Spirit, many of us are responding with the flesh. So because we are feeling the hurt, we're adding to the harm. So, we're overeating and we're not getting the medication that we need, and we're doing all, we're self medicating instead of properly medicating, and we're not getting outside and exercising, and we're not going back to work, and we're not doing the relationships that we used to do, and we're not coming to church regularly, and we're not doing all the things that kept us in a routine and kept us on track. And the enemy knows that when you hurt enough, you're vulnerable to temptation. So, James says, when those temptations come, and they will, Come, because we all have them. He said it's a test that you're either going to pass or you're going to fail. Now, let me say that there's a lot of ways that we blame God for what's going on in our lives. Did you hear what James said? He said, don't let anybody ever tell you that they are tempted by God because God has no temptations for himself, nor does he ever use temptations against you. But we do blame God sometimes for our temptations. Because we say things like, well, I'm just going through a rough season right now, and, and, and I kind of feel like God hasn't done anything to help me, so this is why I am the way I am. We hear people say things, well, well, if, if my wife hadn't said that, I wouldn't treat her that way. If my husband would learn to take his muddy boots off, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on his back all the time. Yeah, that's your response. But you can't blame your response on how somebody else is acting. And, and, and look at the external pressure that everybody is under, and it's because of the pressure that we're making bad choices. It started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. There's two people on earth, two people on the whole planet. Two, uno dos. We hadn't even got this project off the ground good yet. And the first two broke it. Project Earth was broke by the first two specimens. God puts them in the garden, tells them, Okay, you guys get along. You ain't got no clothes on. Just make some babies. You can eat anything you want, but don't touch that tree and don't eat that fruit. I'll be back in a little bit. God leaves. There's a serpent in the tree. You know the story. Uh huh. Everything gets messed up because they eat the fruit. Everything's broken. The earth's ruined. Have you ever left your left the room with your kids in it for like 37 seconds? And you come back in the room and the couch cushions is tore apart. And, and, and the TV's broke. And the potted plant's in the toilet. And somehow there's a dog, and y'all don't own no dog, and there's a dog in it. Like, have you ever, you, that's what God was like. God left for a little while, he came back, and everything was broke. And immediately he asked Adam, where are you? Because Adam's hiding. Adam says, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Who told you you was naked? And all of a sudden, Adam's like, you know what? I'm so glad you came back, God. This chick you gave me is crazy. Read it, it's in there. I mean, it doesn't say it exactly that way, but. This chick is crazy. And you know what, God? I've been thinking. You made her. You kind of got a defective product here. It's not my fault. I'm the victim. I mean, I forgive both of you. But if you could maybe just send this one back do a warranty claim and bring me another woman who knows that you're supposed to kill snakes not have picnics with them I'd appreciate it and so he blames God he blames Eve and then what happens to Eve she blames the snake not my fault I didn't do it and at this point everybody's gonna blame somebody else instead of taking personal responsibility And what James does is he gets in our face. Oh, we're going somewhere. He gets in our face and he says, Hey, you know that stuff that you fight all the time called temptation? It ain't the devil's fault. Yeah, he gets right in your face because what happens out there does not determine what happens in here unless you allow it to. You're responsible for what happens inside of you, and everybody else is responsible for what happens out there. And the lie is always this. God is not as good as he says he is, and sin is not as bad as you think it is. That's the lie of temptation. And here is the truth. Sin does two things. It defies God and it harms us, okay? Nobody is going through a trial and chose sin and improved their life. None of you have ever gotten so hurt that you gave in to temptation and sinned against God and looked back on it and says, man, I'm glad I did that. That made everything so much better. Cheating on my wife made my marriage exactly what I wanted it to be. Going out and getting drunk and tearing up every, uh, every mailbox between here and the bar. Man, I am so glad I did that because that really improved my driving skills. No, You've never, you've never went out and made a huge error because the hurt caused you to harm yourself and then look back on it and said, that was an improvement. We've all done it, though. You make a short-term sinful decision for some sort of pleasure out of rebellion. And momentarily, you get some cerebral, psychological relief, right? But then, because you love Jesus, the Holy Ghost comes knocking and says, Hey, you're not built for that. That's not what God created you for. You're supposed to be doing better than that. That's not who you were made to be. And... You get disappointed in yourself, and it didn't make your life any better. And people are making these kind of decisions over and over and over. And once you get into a habit, here's what the brain uh, neurological uh, uh, studies are showing us now. It's called a neural feedback loop in the brain. And it's where every time you, you keep going back and doing the same stupid stuff. Can I say stupid in church? I already did it. You keep going back and doing the same stupid stuff, and what happens is you get a hit of dopamine. And it makes you feel better for a little while. And so every time that same stress comes against you, you go back to get that same hit. And you're creating a neural feedback loop because now your brain thinks every time stress comes, this is how I deal with it. I run back to Jack Daniels. Not, y'all not going to help me. I, I run back to a bedroom that I'm not supposed to be in. I run back to this relationship. I run back to stealing money from my business. I run back to doing this. I, I run back to doing that because my brain tells me that this is how I'm supposed to handle it. And the Holy Ghost comes along and says, you're not supposed to be listening to what's going on up here. You're supposed to be listening to what's going on in here and replace that loop with another loop, which is God forgive me and I don't want to do that again. I don't want to be that person anymore. Please set me free and deliver me from this vicious cycle. Amen. So I want you to know that it is not a sin to be tempted. I need you to get that in your soul this morning because some of you are tender conscience folks. You love the Lord. You want to do right. You want to do right by him, you want to do right by your family, you want to do right and you try to do what's right all the time. You're honest in your intents. But what happens is, some of you, every time you get tempted, the devil comes along and whispers in your ear and says things like this, I can't believe that you're even thinking about that. I can't believe that you feel that way. Don't you feel dirty having that desire? And you feel immediately defeated. Because you take temptation to mean that you have already committed the act. But can I tell somebody in this room, that's not God talking to you. That's the enemy whispering to you because he is the accuser of the children of God. And what he's doing in that moment is he's accusing you of sin that you have not committed yet. You are taking the test and he has already convinced you you have failed the test and you're not even put your pencil down yet. And the truth is you've still got time to resist and do the right thing. But for some of you, this is where you get so discouraged because you listen to the lies of the enemy. You're like, well, I thought about it. I might as well just do it. No! A thousand times, no! Did Jesus ever sin? Was he ever tempted? So that tells us that temptation and sin are not the same thing. Because my Jesus never sinned. However, he was tempted in every way. So temptation and sin... Are not the same. So we can't blame God when we have temptation. That's what James says. And if we can't blame God, whose fault is it? Well, this is going to sting a little bit. Because what James says is, it's your fault. Boy, this is not very 2022, is it? when everybody's a victim of somebody else's bad choices listen to what he says james says every time we give in to temptation it's because we want to but flip wilson said the devil made me do it the gospel says however that way more you need something way more than forgiveness you need a savior Because forgiveness only works for a moment. And you go right back out and and, and conduct yourself in the same manner and, and do the same sins over and over again. Why? Because James is teaching us that in your DNA is the type of person who wants to eat the fruit off the wrong tree. In the very makeup of who we are, is somebody who doesn't want to obey God so if you listen to the world and you listen to the talk show hosts they will tell you you're okay you're not that bad but let's see what the Bible says about us Psalms chapter 51 have mercy on me O God because I because of your unfailing love because of your great compassion blot out the stain of my sins Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. Whose rebellion? My rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Stop right there. And I'm not there yet, but I want to stop right there. When's the last time what you did haunted you? No, I'm being serious. I know you got mad at the husband and that kept you up at night. I know some of you are mad at Washington and you you, you lose sleep over them. Your blood pressure goes up over your boss. The people you're driving behind. I know those people make you lose it. But when was the last time you were haunted by the choices you made? When's the last time you stayed up at night agonizing over what? You did to you, not what they did to you. And here's why we should. Verse 4, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And then look at this. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. You know what, you know what David just said there? He said, God, whatever you accuse me of, you're right. That's why, listen, I learned a long time ago, I don't have to, I don't have to uh, defend myself. When people come to me and they say, well, I just think that you are a such and such and a so and so, I'm like, you don't know half of it. Hey, can I be honest in this church? I'll be the only honest Christian in here. I'm not as holy as some of y'all. Y'all pray for me. Because i am being honest with you. When they come to me and say, well, I just think that you're smug or you're arrogant or you're... I said, you don't know half of it. Because every sin is available on the inside of me. And I recognize that. I know that I have the ability to ruin my life and it all lives on the inside of me. My, my human DNA is always drawn to things that God don't want me to have. That's why I can't operate with my carnal mind and I have to relinquish myself to the spirit man so that I don't give in to the temptations that are constantly tugging at my soul. So, so, so the culture says you're not that bad. God said you're so bad that there's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. Only Jesus. So this is incredibly discouraging, right? You got up, fixed your hair, came to church today, and a guy stood in the pulpit and told you you're a terrible person. But this is one of the times that we have to go through bad news to get to good news. Because if we leap right into the good news, we don't realize why the good news is so good. You don't realize why what Jesus did for you is so valuable until you realize how badly you needed Jesus to do what it was he did. If you don't realize that there was no way you was ever going to earn your way to heaven, you won't realize why it was so important for him to do what he did and why he was so good. Because you get to be justified by the life he lived because he became condemned because of the life you lived. And that's the value of the cross. Yeah, so, so James is just trying to teach us here that you're, not, you're so broken you can never fix yourself. But he is such a good saint. That he has done what you couldn't do. And that's why you need a Savior. While you're helpless, you're not worthless. Because he who the sun sets free. I, have a, I came up with a chart that I want to show you. Okay? Some of you are probably going to take a picture of that. James is telling us, just leave that up for a few minutes if you would. James is telling us, That sin always starts at the bottom of who you are as a person. Okay? The hunger you have. He uses the word desires. That's what you want. James said, if you gave in to temptation, it's because it was something you wanted. You have a desire for that thing. You are not chasing after people that you ain't attracted to that's not the way this works you're not stealing money because you got plenty you want more money it's a desire the hunger that you have okay the reason I bring this to your attention the reason I made this chart is because the hunger leads to the way you talk to yourself you convince yourself well I deserve to be happy they don't treat me right. They don't affirm me. They don't appreciate me. I've done this for so long, and God hasn't brought me nobody, so I deserve. You, you talk to yourself, and you convince yourself, I'm only going to do it one more time. Don't raise your hands, but every person in this room, you've tried to not do something again, and you've said, well, I'll just do it one more time. You're just going to go party one more time. I just, I'm just going to go to this one. I'm going to go to the club one more. I'm going to go to the bar one more. I'm going to take this hit one more I'm going to smoke this one. Y'all not going to help me. And it's always one more time and one more time because you have talked yourself and convinced yourself into the fact that you think you are stronger than you are. And you can do it one more time and quit. Even though one more time has been 152 times up to this point. I'm going to eat this cake one more time. I'll I'll start my diet tomorrow. Uh, It's always we will convince ourselves that we are stronger than we really are so you follow your own rules instead of the rules God gave you. And once you're convinced it's okay to eat the forbidden fruit, you get obsessed with You didn't accidentally rent that hotel room. People say, well, I made a mistake. Yeah, but it costs you $149 It's on your credit card. Like, that's... A mistake is you dodged a pothole and you hit a guardrail. That's a mistake. You didn't see that coming. But when you started booking hotels, there was warning signs. You, you made plans to go to the club that night. When the bartender looked at you and said, don't you think you've had enough? That was another sign. But, but, but we just keep, we keep convincing ourselves. Why? Because we get obsessed with what we believe. Once you're convinced it's okay to eat the forbidden fruit, you obsess over it until what? You eventually act on it. Do you see this line at the top? Here's what we've done in the church for years. We have tried to deal with our actions, which is above the line, but never deal with the things that are below the line. So we have tried behavior modification. Well, just don't do it. People come up, they get saved, they say, I have a problem, I have an addiction. Well, stop doing that. Read your Bible and pray and fast. And that's what we told them. That's what we told them. That's what I told them. And I didn't understand. That's all fine and dandy. But their mind needs to be rewired from the habits that they have formed up to this point. Because you can put a $3,000 suit on a gorilla and all you've got is a well-dressed monkey. He's still a monkey. You've got to change the way people think if you're going to change what they do. And we tried to teach people to defeat sin above the line. Just stop doing it, we would say. Tie yourself to the couch on Friday nights if you have to. So you don't go out to the club. But that's not how you defeat sin because whatever you're doing above the line only happened because of the stuff that you have below the line. Is this helping anybody? In other words, church, if you didn't want it, it wouldn't tempt you. But somewhere in here, you want it. Somewhere in here, you have a desire for the forbidden fruit. Somewhere in here... There is something in you that wants what God says don't touch. Hello. It is quiet in here today. Now what I need you to understand is that the word James uses here for desires is literally translated as over desires. Over desires. So what he's telling us is this. temptation comes in a lot of forms. And it's not just sinful things. It's anything that you obsess over. Over desire. If you want something too bad, that's temptation. Why is that important for you to know? Because that means your temptation could be heroin, but it could also be a new house. Because if you over-desire a thing, he says you are guilty of falling into temptation. You're fighting a problem. But where is the problem? Is it below the line or is it above the line? Because some of your problem is lust. And some of your problems is probably porn. And some of you deal with anger. And some of you are dealing with pride. But the problem isn't what you are doing. The problem is what you want to do. Hear me. Because you can, be, you can have a problem with self-esteem issues, okay? And having self-esteem issues is simply that you're looking for approval outside of God's approval. And the reason you do the stuff above the line is because of the desires that you have below the line. And this is why following rules in church has never worked. Because listen, listen, you can be as lost in the bar as you are in a Bible study. I know, I know that don't set well with some religious folks, but as hard as it is for us to face the fact that we have darkness on the inside of us, we will never be able to overcome the power of sin in our life until we realize why we want what we want so badly that we are willing to act on it. And hear me, you can trace every sinful act in your life to one decision. And that decision is... The thing that you want most in your life. And if you can ever figure out why you do what you do, you can stop the sin. He gives us examples of fishing. James does. He said there's, um, there's two things you need to fish. There's a hook and there's bait. And the difference between fish and us is that fish don't have a rational mind. They have instinct. When they see bait, they don't pay no attention to the hook. You, on the other hand, are supposed to be thinkers. So when you see bait, you're supposed to look at it from different angles and say, he's fine and all, but look at that hook he got in the middle of him. When they call you, and when they hit your phone and say, Hey, we're going to meet at 6.30. You look at that thing and you say, Oh, if I turn it that way, I can see a hook in it. And that hook's going to leave me with a hangover and some bad decisions in the morning that I'm going to regret. See, see if, you're, if you are just an instinctual fish, you'll take the bait and don't notice the hook. But James is telling us that you're supposed to pay attention to the hook. And here's the deal. Different fish like different bait. And different people like different temptations. And sometimes what happens is we sort of judge people because they fail for their bait. When we don't really do nothing but make excuses about ours. I can't believe you drink all the time. Well, I can't believe that you're judgmental and so religious. So there we're even. I mean, don't, don't judge my bait when y'all not going to help me right there. See, 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 we got our own thing. We all have our own. Look at your neighbor and say, we all got a thing. Yeah, we all got a thing. We all got a thing. So don't judge my thing because you got one too. And, and the bait may be different than yours, but it's not about the bait. You know what church is about? It's not showing each other their bait. It's helping each other find the hook. That's what church is supposed to be about. Church is not about pointing at everybody else's bait because we all got something. What church is supposed to be about, what the body of Christ is supposed to be about, is helping expose the hook so that nobody wants to take the bait anymore. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap right there? Satan is willing to give you a little bit of pleasure to inflict harm on you. So if you're ever wondering why sin feels so good for a little while, it's because he's willing to allow you a little bit of comfort and a little bit of pleasure because he understands that the long term effects is sin is pregnant with death. But keep reading, you'll find out we're not helpless against temptation. Verse 16, James chapter 1, verse 16. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift. Somebody say, The gift. Look at your neighbor and say, Right there's the gift. I've been preaching all morning to get right here. See, the hurt and the harm. There's a gift between the hurt and the harm, and this is the gift. Here it is. A gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. So what is the gift? In order for us to find the gift, we have to go back to verse 5. Here's the gift between the hurt and the harm. You will not avoid hurt. Hurt is going to come. You're going to suffer. Jesus said it is impossible for you to live this life and not have offense come. You're going to suffer. Into every life, a little rain's going to fall. It rains on the just and the unjust. You will not avoid the hurts. As long as you are breathing air, something's going to hurt you. But what you don't have to enter into is the harm, the temptation. You do not have to fall for the temptation. But there's a gift between the two that will help you not fall into the harm. And that gift is verse 5. If you need wisdom. Ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person... With divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave on the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, between God and the world, between God and the world. Their loyalty, their loyalty is... How many of you married folks would love for your spouse to have their loyalty divided between you and another fellow? How many of you would love for your dog to have divided loyalty between your house and the neighbor's house? They eat dinner at your house Monday, Wednesday, Friday. they over at the other place Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Sunday is just whoever's got the best meal. No. Loyalty means I have forsaken all others for one. And what James is saying here is that their loyalty... Double minded people have loyalty that is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Uh huh. So, have you, he says, he says in verse 5, if you need wisdom, which is kind of cute. Right? Ha, ha, have any of you ever. Looked up at heaven and said, I don't know what to do. And you're like, Yeah, I call that Monday. <laughs> and then Tuesday. Followed by Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, right? I, I, that's lacking wisdom when you don't know what to do. But there's a difference between uh, lacking wisdom and 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 being reckless. Okay, because wisdom distinguishes between what is sinful and holy. Right? Some of you have went through the struggle of a lifetime in the last two years because you needed wisdom. Because you had to decide whether you was going to take a vaccine or lose your job. You had to decide. You needed godly wisdom to do one or the other. Some of you don't even realize that you need godly wisdom because some of you are like, should I forgive that person and reconcile Or should I forgive them and set some boundaries? You need godly wisdom. What should I do? Should I go to this college or that college? Should I keep renting or buy a house? I don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? How many of you are there right now? I'm glad I'm in the room with some other people that feels the way I feel. So he says here, if any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom is the gift. Wisdom is the gift that keeps you from letting your pain Cause you harm. Wisdom will detect your weaknesses and show you how to escape the temptation. When you don't know who to go to, God should never be your last option. Because look what James says. He gives generously. You know the reason we don't ask most people for help? Because most people aren't generous. But he says, you're generous, God. God. Who will not rebuke you. Now, I like that because sometimes I go to God and say, God, I feel pretty stupid for having to ask you this because I made this mess myself. But he says he will not rebuke you for asking him for wisdom. And here's what he's saying. When trials and temptations comes, you need wisdom because you haven't walked through this before. And sometimes the greatest obstacle to wisdom is that you got too much knowledge. Listen, listen, our world has way too much knowledge and way too little wisdom. The amount of knowledge on planet Earth, they say, is doubling every year, which means we have twice as much knowledge this year than we did last year, and this time next year we will have twice as much as we have right now. So there's an abundance of knowledge, but there's a scarcity of wisdom. You can go to college and get knowledge and come out a fool. You can get head knowledge and be an evil person. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge is knowing the truth, wisdom is knowing how to apply it. I've always said it like this knowledge will teach you how to load a weapon, wisdom tells you where to point it. And if you don't understand the difference, you can be dangerous to yourself and others. Uh huh. So, hurt comes from the outside, you can't stop it, harm comes from the inside, you can control it. And He promises to give us the gift. Of wisdom, are you with me? I'm going to end this. Uh, I've out preached my my welcome, so let's let's get to the end of this, verse six through eight. Because there's a way that we uh, there's a way that we receive wisdom that we don't talk about too much. Can I can I tell you that it doesn't t- make you less of a Christian to admit that you hurt? It does not make you less of a Christian to admit that you're not Jesus. We all hurt sometimes. Verse 6 says this But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Uh huh. Such people should not expect. I don't care how many times they repost something on Facebook to get blessed. These people should not expect to receive anything, anything. Their loyalty. See, it's not about God loving them. It's not about God not loving them. It's not about God being able to or not being able to. It's about their loyalty. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world And they are unstable in everything they do. So, when I first got into church, I used to hear preachers preach on this verse, and they used to talk about if you have any wavering of your faith, don't expect God to answer any of your prayers. Like if you wasn't 110% sold out and believed everything all the time, you should never expect God to answer your prayers. Here's a problem with that theology. You're not perfect. Guess what? You are unwavering. You are unstable. If you're perfect, get down here and lay hands on me right now. Because I need the anointing you're walking around in. After I cast that lying devil out of you. Because we're not perfect. We are unwell. We pray with doubt. We pray in faithless faith. Because we're not perfect. So when we say, when we look at this verse and we try to extrapolate that, well, you should never ask God for anything if you have any, doubt at all, then we should never ever pray about anything, but that's not what James is saying here. What James is saying is this, you do mess up, but that's why we need Jesus, and the Bible exposes to us that we are more sinful than we realize, but we are more loved than we know. You get credit for the life that Jesus lived because he took the blame for the life you lived. So the Christian life is not about proving that you have no flaws. The Christian life is leaning into the work that Jesus has done on the cross. And when you mess up, you realize it's not the end of the world because you can't mess up enough to mess up what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. So here's, what, here's the truth about the problem with double-minded people. He says their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And those people should expect to receive nothing from God. I'm going to give it to you. Can I just give it to you in hillbilly vernacular version? Here's what he's saying. When you don't have the right loyalty, why are you expecting God to pick up your tab? He says their loyalty is divided between God and the world, which means this. They may be coming to church. They may be paying tithes. They may be trying to say they're serving the Lord. And they're asking God for something. But they're open to other options if God don't move fast enough. Like, I'm praying God will send me a companion. But if God takes a little longer than I'm comfortable with, I'm tired of eating dinner alone. You know... Hagar's got a tent I could stagger There's some other folks out there And maybe he's not Mr. Right But he can be Mr. Right now Can't be with the one you love, honey Love the one you're with I prayed and God didn't answer me I don't see why I gotta keep waiting To be happy Everybody else has somebody Your loyalty's divided because here's the thing. You don't hate the world enough to love God with everything. And he says, those people, those people, those are the ones that shouldn't ask and expect God to do nothing. And you're looking at me in, in a mean tone of voice, so I'm just going to get it to you like this. Because you're, you're, you're either mad at me or you're mad at God for explaining it to you like that. But let me ask you. Would you allow your spouse to go spend three months living with somebody else and when they come home... For you to wash their dirty clothes and you say come on in honey I missed you mm, there would be some knots on some heads you're not tolerating that why would God why would God tolerate you having divided loyalty and only showing up to him and his house and his table when you want something when your heart is somewhere else, but the rest of you wants to receive benefits from heaven, that's not the way this works. You can't have your money in the bank at West Banco and go to First National and make a withdrawal. That's not the way this works. You have to be all in. He says not all in with faith because that's impossible. Not all in with, your, with, with you've never made a mistake. That's impossible. What you've got to be is... I'm going to do it God's way or it's not going to get done. I'm going to go with God. I'm going to quit walking to my own desires. I'm going to quit walking to my own wisdom. I'm going to quit trying to make this thing work for myself. In other words, James says, when you get to the point when you are sick and tired of making your own mess, God will at that point show up and give you what you are asking for. So if you'd stand with me all over this place, I want to ask a question. And it's very simple because... There's only going to be a few people that's going to be bold enough to make the trip. How many of you knows, and don't raise your hand. How many of you knows the damage that you have done to yourself? The hurt and the harm. The hurt caused you to become weak and hungry and tired and the enemy brought the harm and you gave in and you're probably standing here this morning and you're like but I've asked God to forgive me I get that, I understand that I, I'm, I appreciate that about you that you know where to run to when you need help but I'm not talking about the last time I'm talking about the next time. Are you going to do it again? Are you going to fall into that same trap again? Are you going to let, because I promise you, you're eventually, if you're double-minded, if you don't fix that, you're going to keep running back to the same poor choices. And the harm is going to get worse Than it was the last time. Because the enemy allowed you to have a season where it felt good. That's why you keep running back to it. But eventually, that pleasure is going to wear off. And the harm that it's going to cause you, God's not going to be able to get it out of you. That marriage is going to be over. That relationship is going to be done. Your ministry is going to be through you're going to lose the house. You're going, you're, you're going to lose your position at work. You're going to, you won't be able to get back what was lost because you keep making the same choices. There's a gift between the hurt and the harm, and that gift is wisdom. God, I need you. I need you, God, to show me how to resist these temptations. I need you to show me how to not fall into these same patterns, my mind has only got one recourse God, every time something bad happens to me, I run and find that drug dealer. every time she doesn 't treat me right, I, I, I get online and start chatting with that girl every time that 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 my kids start acting up, I go into the to, into the bathroom and I binge drink and, and, and I, I black out so that I can feel better god i 'm tired of this same. Routine. I've been double-minded. I've been trying to spend my time loyal to you on Sundays. And when I get in a bad way, but the rest of the time, I don't wait on you. And I have other purposes. And I've got other plans. And I think I can outsmart you and outrun the devil. And God, I'm just tired of this pattern. I need you. I need wisdom from heaven. Because I'm afraid, God, that if I don't get this out of me and I don't start making different choices, that the next time the harm is going to be so bad that I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. If that's you, if that's you, step out and come to this altar. If that's you, I know, I know, Pastor, you're asking a big, I am, I'm asking a big, I'm asking a big, I'm asking a big thing. You got to be bold sometimes to get rid of this stuff. This is a life, lifetime of bad decisions some of us are carrying around, a lifetime of poor choices. I have done this over and over and over and over, but he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I'm declaring victory over folks this morning that come to this altar. My God in heaven, if I got any staff in here, if I've got any uh, prayer team members, if I got any Stephen ministers that's in here that can come up and help us pray, because I'm just going to keep the altar call coming. Don't wait. Don't wait. Hey, this is the Holy... You feel that thing in the pit of your stomach that's, that's asking you to... That, that, that's the Holy Ghost. And he's saying, it's time. It's time. It, finally deal with it. You've brought it to church and you've, you've walked out of church and you've not dealt with it. Today's the day to deal with it. Today is the day to put it under the blood. Release it. And don't deal with it anymore. The harm is going to catch you if you do not catch it first. God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we put it under the blood of Jesus today. We put it under the cross of Calvary and the plan that you have for these people. God, there's fathers and mothers and sisters and daughters all up here at this altar, God, and they're laying something down for you today. And they're doing it, God, because they are hurting and they realize that the The problems that they have had has been of their own design and their own making and they do not wish to walk out of here the way they walked in, that something needs to change. And I'm asking for the anointing of heaven to fall. I'm asking for this to never be the same again. For when they walk out of this room, that they are conquerors, oh God, more than conquerors through Him who loves us. God, I pray right now for your anointed Holy Spirit to just wash over, bring the... Bring the fragrance of the balm of Gilead, God. That gives us the victory. Yeah, we're flesh and bone, God. We're weak. We admit our weaknesses. We admit, God, that our desires are not always fastened on you. And that we sometimes need you to point it out to us. God, let our desires and our double-mindedness, let it pass away like the chaff in the wind. My God... Let our focus be intently on you. As the deer pants for the water brook, let our soul hunger after you, O oh God. Let us not have division of our purpose, but let us have purpose in you. God when we're weak, we know you're strong. So don't allow us, O Lord, to walk in our weaknesses and our carnal desires. But God, today, 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 we arrest the carnality. and We give you our mind, our heart, and our soul. Help us walk in victory. Before we do more harm. You are our heart's desire. Let us fix our affection on you.